BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This episode is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience and have more meaningful conversations, you're going to want to check out Poddex. Now, if you want to get 10% off your order right now, you can go to poddex.com and type in coupon code, what's the code? Larry21. Yes, that's the code. Check out poddex.com. Take your podcast to the next level. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. We dive into stories of true crime, from unsolved cold cases, to historic kidnapping, to gangsters, and beyond. We are your source for true crime. We thank you for listening. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. On today's episode, we're diving into the life and crimes of Aldrich Ames. Aldrich Ames was born May 26, 1941. A former CIA officer turned KGB double agent was convicted of espionage in 1994. He is serving a life sentence without the possibility of parole in a federal correctional institution in Indiana, United States. Before we dive even deeper into today's topic, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Pondex, for sponsoring this episode. You can check them out today at pondex.com. Use the promo code Larry21 for 10% off your order. And now let's dive into today's topic. Aldrich Ames was born in River Falls, Wisconsin to Carlton Cecil Ames and Rachel Ames. His father was a college lecturer at the Wisconsin State College, River Falls, and his mother was a high school English teacher. Aldrich was the eldest of three children and the only son. In 1952, his father began working for the CIA's Directorate of Operations in Virginia. And in 1955, 1953, excuse me, 
was posted to Southeast Asia for three years, accompanied by his family. Carlton received a particularly negative performance appraisal, appraisal in part because of serious alcoholism, and spent the remainder of his career at CIA headquarters. Ames attended high school at McLean High School in McLean, Virginia. Beginning in 1957, following his sophomore year, he worked for the CIA for three summers as a low-ranking GS3 records analyst, marking classified documents for filing. In 1959, Ames entered the University of Chicago planning to study foreign cultures. But his longtime passion for drama resulted in failing grades, and he did not finish his sophomore year. Ames worked at the CIA during the summer of 1960 as a laborer painter. He then became an assistant technical director at a Chicago theater until February 1962. Returning to the Washington area, Ames took full-time employment at the CIA, doing the same sort of clerical jobs he had performed in high school. Five years after first working for the CIA, Ames completed a bachelor's degree in history at George Washington University. He did not originally plan to have a career with the CIA, but after attaining the grade of GS-7 and receiving good performance appraisals, he was accepted into the career trainee program, despite several alcohol-related brushes with the police. In 1969, Ames married a fellow CIA officer, Nancy Segebarth, whom he had met in the career trainee program. When Ames was assigned to Ankara, Nancy resigned from the CIA because of a rule that prohibited married partners from working from the same office. Ames' job in Turkey was to target Soviet intelligence officers for recruitment. He succeeded in infiltrating the communist Devjank organization through a roommate of student activist Deniz Gizmi. In spite of his, this success, Ames' performance was rather only satisfactory. Discouraged by the critical assessment, Ames considered leaving the CIA. In 1972, Ames returned to CIA headquarters and spent the next four years in the Soviet East European Division. His performance reviews were generally enthusiastic, apparently because he was better at managing paperwork and planning field ops than recruiting agents. Nevertheless, his excessive drinking was also noted. Two eyes only memoranda was placed in his file. In 1976, Ames was assigned to New York City, where he had handled two important Soviet assets. His performance was rated excellent, and he received several promotions and bonuses, being ranked above most operation officers in his pay grade. However, Ames' tendency to procrastinate in submissions of financial accounting was noted. His inattention to detail also led him to commit two important security violations, including one including once leaving a briefcase containing classified operational materials on the subway. Ames apparently received only a verbal reprimand. In 1981, Ames accepted a posting to Mexico City while his wife remained in New York. His evaluations in Mexico were mediocre at best, and he engaged in at least three extramarital affairs. In October 1982, Ames began an affair with Maria del Rosario Casas Dupov, a cultural attache in the Colombian embassy and a CIA informant. He married Maria in 1985, with whom he fathered a son, Paul Ames, who was born in 1989. Despite CIA regulations, Ames did not report his romance with a foreign national to his superiors, even though some of his colleagues were aware of it. His lackluster performance reviews were part the result of heavily drinking. 
At a diplomatic reception in Mexico City, Ames got into a loud, drunken argument with a Cuban official that, quote, caused alarm among his superior, super, er, superiors. Excuse me. Nevertheless, in September 1983, the CIA assigned Ames back to the SE Division in Washington. His reassignment placed him in the most sensitive element, the Department of Operations, which was responsible for Soviet counterintelligence. Ames had access to all CIA plans and operations against the KGB and the GRU, the Soviet military intelligence. In October, he formally separated from Nancy. In November, he submitted an outside activity report to the CIA, noting his romantic relationship with Rosario. As part of his divorce settlement, Ames agreed to pay the debts that he and his wife had accrued, as well as provide Nancy monthly support for three and a half years, a total of about $46,000. Ames thought the divorce might bankrupt him, and later said that this financial pressure was what had first led him to consider spying for the Soviet Union. Rosario had also proven to be a heavy spender, phoning her family in Colombia at a cost of $400 a month, and going on shopping sprees as well. After her arrest, the FBI discovered 60 purses in the Ames house, more than 500 pairs of shoes, and 165 unopened boxes of pantyhose. Ames routinely assisted another CIA office that assessed Soviet embassy officials as potential intelligence assets as part of this responsibility. And with the knowledge of both the CIA and the FBI, Ames began making contacts within the Soviet embassy. In April 1985, Ames provided information to the Soviets that he believed was essentially valueless, but would establish his credentials as a CIA insider. He also asked for $50,000, which the Soviets quickly paid. Ames later claimed they had not prepared for more than the initial con game to satisfy his immediate indebtedness, but having crossed the line, he could never step back. Ames soon identified more than 10 top-level CIA and FBI sources who were reporting on Soviet activities. Not only did Ames believe that there was as much money as he could ever use in betraying these intelligence assets, but their elimination would also reduce the chance of his own espionage being discovered. By 1985, the CIA networks of Soviet bloc agents began disappearing at an alarming rate, such as Agent Genady Vernik and Agent Dmitry Polyakov. The CIA realized something was wrong, but was reluctant to consider the possibility of a mole within their agency. Initial investigations focused on possible breaches caused by Soviet bugs or a code that had been broken. The CIA initially blamed asset losses on another former CIA agent, Edward Lee Howard, who had also been passing information to the Soviets. However, when the CIA lost three other important assets about whom Howard could have known nothing, it was clear that the arrests and resulting executions were the result of information provided by another source. As one CIA officer put it, the Soviets were wrapping up our cases with reckless abandon, which was highly unusual because the prevailing wisdom among the agency's professional spy catchers was that suddenly eliminating all the assets known to the mole would put him in danger. In fact, Ames KGB handlers apologized to him saying they disagreed with that course of action but that the decision to immediately eliminate all American assets had been made at the highest political levels. Meanwhile, Ames continued to meet openly with his contact at the Soviet Embassy, Sergei Chuvakuchin, apologies for butchering his name. For a time, Ames summarized for the CIA and FBI the progress of what he portrayed as an attempt to recruit the Soviets. Ames received 
between 20,000 to 50,000 every time the two had a lunch. Ultimately, Ames received 4.6 million from the Soviets, which allowed him to enjoy a lifestyle well beyond the means of a CIA officer. In August 1985, when Ames' divorce became final, he immediately married Rosario. Understanding that his new wealth would raise eyebrows, he developed a, co co uh, a cover story excuse me, that his prosperity was the result of money given to him by his Colombian wife's wealthy family. To assist with that fabrication, Ames wired considerable amounts of espionage payments to his new in-laws in Bogota to help improve their impoverished status. In mid-May 1985, someone had apparently reported to the Soviets that Oleg Gordievsky, the chief of station in London, was sending secrets at MI6. He had in fact been doing so for 11 years, under great secrecy. He was recalled to Moscow on May 17th and was drugged and interrogated about his alleged communications with MI6. There was great suspicion that Ames had reported Gordievsky's activities as Soviet counterintelligence. A 1994 report by the Washington Post, however, stated that after six weeks of questioning Ames, the FBI and CIA remained baffled about whether Ames or someone else first warned the Soviets about Gordievsky. An FBI report later stated that Ames had not advised the Soviets about the Russian until June 13, 1985. By that time, the spy was under KGB surveillance. Although he was not charged with treason as of July 19, 1985, when MI6 agents began to exfiltrate him to Britain. In 1986, following the loss of several CIA assets, Ames told the KGB that he feared he would be a suspect. The KGB threw U.S. investigators off Ames' trail by constructing an elaborate diversion in which a Soviet case officer told a CIA contact that the mole was stationed at Warrington Training Center, a secret CIA communications facility in Virginia. U.S. mole hunters investigated 90 employees at WTC for almost a year and came up with 10 suspects. Although the lead investigator noted that there are so many problem personalities that no one stands out. In 1986, Ames was posted to Rome. There, his performance once again ranged from mediocre to poor and included evidence of problematic drinking. Nevertheless, in 1990 and 1991, he was reassigned to the CIA's Counterintelligence Center Analysis Group providing him with access to extremely sensitive data, including information on U.S. double agents. Later, after he defected, Oleg Gordievsky spoke highly of the information that Ames had provided the KGB, stating that, quote, the significance of Ames was huge, and the Soviets was impressed with the, quote, quality and quantity of secrets that he had delivered. In late 1986, the CIA assembled a team to investigate the source of the leaks, led by Paul Redman, and consisting of Jane Vertifulli, Sandra Grimes, Diane Worthen, and Dan Payne, the team examined different possible causes, including the possibility that the KGB had bugged the agency, intercepted its communications, or had a mole in place. By 1990, the CIA was certain that there was a mole in the agency, but could not find the source. Recruitment of new Soviet agents came to a virtual halt, as the agency feared it could not protect its current assets. Prior to that, in November 1989, a fellow employee reported that Ames seemed to be enjoying a lifestyle well beyond the means of a CIA officer, and that his family's and that his wife's family was less wealthy than he had claimed. Orthon, one of the members of the Mole League team, 
had known Rosario Ames prior to her marriage and had met with her one day to discuss installing drapes in the Ames residence. Worthen had recently installed drapes in her own home and knew they could be expensive. She asked which room to concentrate upon first, at which Rosario laughed and said, Do not worry about the price. We're going to have the whole house done at once. Worthen also knew that Rosario's parents had little money, be a CIA contact in Bogota observed that her family was now well off. Nevertheless, the CIA moved slowly. When the investigator assigned a look at Ames' finances began a two-month training course, no one immediately replaced him. Investigators were also diverted by a false story from a CIA officer abroad who claimed that the Soviets had penetrated the CIA with an employee born in the USSR. In 1986 and 1991, Ames passed two polygraph exams while spying for the Soviet Union. Ames was initially terrified at the prospect of taking the test, but he was advised by the KGB to just relax. Ames' test demonstrated deceptive answers to some questions. The examiners passed him, perhaps in a later opinion of the CIA, because the examiners were overly friendly, and therefore did not induce the proper physiological response. The CIA finally focused on Ames after co-workers noticed his sharper personal appearance, including cosmetic dentistry, Ames' teeth, which were yellow by heavy smoking, were capped. His attire, previously Ames had been known for bargain basement attire, but suddenly changed to wearing tailor-made suits, which not even his superiors could afford. The CIA also realized that despite Ames' annual salary being 60000 he could afford a $50,000 Jaguar luxury car, a $540,000 house in Arlington, Virginia, paid for in cash, house remodeling and redecoration costing 99000 Monthly phone bills exceeding $6,000. Premium credit cards in which the minimum monthly payment exceeded his monthly salary. And now let's dive into his eventual arrest. In March 1993, the CIA and FBI began an intensive investigation of Ames that included electronic surveillance, combing through his trash and a monitor installed in his car to track his movements. From November 1993 until his arrest, Ames was kept under virtually constant physical surveillance. When in early 1994 he was scheduled to attend a conference in Moscow, the FBI believed it could wait no longer, and he and his wife were arrested on February 21st. At his arrest, Ames told the officers, you're making a big mistake. You must have the wrong man. On February 22nd, 1994, Ames and his wife were formally charged by the Department of Justice was spying for the Soviet Union and Russia. Ames' betrayal resulted in the deaths of a number of CIA assets. He pleaded guilty on April 28th and received a sentence of life imprisonment. As part of a plea bargain by Ames, his wife received a five-year prison sentence for tax evasion and conspiracy to commit espionage. In court, Ames admitted that he had compromised virtually all Soviet agents of the CIA and other American and foreign services known to me, and had provided the USSR and Russia with a, quote, huge quantity of information on the U.S. foreign, defense, and security policies. It is estimated that the information aims provided by the Soviets led to the compromise of at least 100 U.S. intel operations and to the execution of at least 10 U.S. sources. Furthermore, Ames' betrayal of CIA methods allowed the KGB to use controlled agents to feed the U.S. both genuine intelligence and disinformation from 1986 to 1993. Some of this feed material 
was incorporated into the CIA intelligence reports, several of which even reached three presidents. Ames said he was not afraid of being caught by the FBI or CIA, but was afraid of Soviet defectors saying, quote, virtually every American who has been jailed in connection with espionage has been fingered by a Soviet source. Additionally, when asked about the polygraph test, Ames said, there's no special magic. Confidence is what it does. Confidence in a friendly relationship with the examiner. Rapport, where you smile and you make him think that you like him, make the, the examiner believe that the examinee has no importance to you, seals the deal. And that is the end of our discussion of Aldrich Ames. Let us know in the comments section below your thoughts on Aldrich Ames the spy. Do you think there's spies still working inside agencies across the U.S. government? And as always, if you want to support the show, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNS. Thank you so much for watching and listening, and we will see you next time. Take care. You have been listening to the True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast and on Twitter at True Crime NS. And follow us on Instagram at True Crime Never Sleeps. Thanks for watching. If you want to support the show, buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNN or become a patron at patreon.com slash True Crime Never Sleeps. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.